Hello, I am Joel McLeod. I'm Roland Tanner. And welcome to a Thursday on a Tuesday episode of the 905 Roundup. Uh, so don't worry about your calendars, folks. We're just doing things a little bit differently this week. Um, but the, the story on our minds are twofold. But the first one is we're going to take a look at the Hamilton Center by-election. It's a, well, I thought it was going to be a a quiet little sleepy by-election that no one was really going to pay attention to. Because I think you are not, you are my being politically savvy experts uh, on Ontario politics figured, okay, this is going to be a a shoo-in for the the Hamilton NDP picking up uh, Andrea Horvath's previous seat in Hamilton Center an easy kickwalk and instead it's turned into just a nasty divisive uh, um race with that uh, you know it we've generated into accusations of anti-semitism uh and and anti you know being i guess pro anti-black racism thrown away thrown between uh those two two progressive candidates uh Sarah Drama for the NDP and Deirdre Pike uh, for the Ontario uh, Liberal Party. And Roland, you and I were discussing this before we hit record, and we we're just shaking our heads at how the F did we get to this point in a in an Ontario by-election? Uh, because Brian Lilly, uh, because politics yeah. is no longer about a good faith exchange of ideas. It's about a bad faith attempt to throw mud in every direction simultaneously and just having gone through the comments of the various people involved in this by-election and people not involved but involved in media commentary can i just say all of you go to hell uh, i live in this writing i will hopefully be voting on thursday um <laughs> uh and, you know and i also say i've known deirdre pike for for quite a while i uh, got to know her in uh, when will it have been 2018 i guess so uh I know Deirdre Pike better than the other candidates. Um, but so Brian Lilly wades in first with an accusation that Sarah Jama was anti-Semitic and went and got a quote from the Benai Brith, uh, which is obviously a Jewish uh, uh, group um, with their media, their media guy who used to be a sports commentator, but now goes, goes around digging up um any comment that he can interpret as anti-Semitic to throw at people uh, and wrote an article about how Sarah Jama was, was involved with, you know, anti-Semitic groups. Um, not going to get into all that really. Uh, don't want to, the whole subject no. is just such a nightmare. Almost the worst part is the extent to which the other parties, I mean, obviously the conservatives do what the conservatives do. Um, um, Deirdre Pike was actually the one who brought, up the anti-Semitism accusations at the debate. And I get the I get why. I get the temptation to paint your your opponent, your main opponent, the, the favorite in the race, as as a kind of you know unhinged radical or whatever. Um, this is really on the basis of Jama's attendance at, at, at rallies uh, about you know. Uh, pro-Palestinian uh, uh, rallies, which we do live in a democracy. People are allowed to attend rallies. Um, I, I, I have a problem with how easy it is to throw the anti-Semitism word around without wanting to downplay whatsoever the importance of challenging anti-Semitism in all its forms. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, I don't want to. I, I just don't want to get into it because you, know, you well, say no, anything, you get accused of anti-Semitism yourself. But well, God damn it, we we didn't want to get into. Oh, Sarah Drama said this on this date, yeah. and she went to this because. Right, let's be clear here. Both you and I do not think for a second that Sarah Drama is anti-Semitic in the slightest. I don't believe that Deirdre Pike is anti-Semitic in the slightest. Both candidates have had stellar records of community organization, community activism uh, for very marginalized groups in Hamilton. Sarah Drama uh, helping with uh, disability uh, awareness as well as uh, fighting anti-black racism and standing up for uh, uh, the the rights of marginalized people uh, across the board. Deirdre Pike, on the other hand, um, has stood up for LGBT, the LGBTQ plus community in Hamilton and Hamilton Center to uh, advocate for their concerns, their needs, and, the, and their 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 voices. So I, I don't buy this. Oh. And also, I mean, just, just to throw into the mix, I mean, just to make the case that these are both people, I'm sure the Green candidate is too, even the Conservative candidate has, has, has within the police service worked on some things which sound very creditworthy. Um, these are people who have dedicated their lives to trying to help people and causes that they believe are important. So Deirdre Pike raises the anti-Semitism issue at the debate. Sarah, ha- Sarah Jama hits back with uh, an accusation that Didri Pike is racist. It's like, give me, you know, just spare me, please. Didri right. Pike is not a bloody racist. But, he, but she, our, you know, our, these our people inter- have given their whole lives to trying to help people, disadvantaged people. Didri Pike became a liberal and left the NDP over the issue of the basic income of wanting to support people to to uh, right you know, have this. Can we not throw this mud around? Can we get? To talking about well, issues and I, here's I here's here's the thing this is what this is our tinfoil hat conspiracy theory hap, what's really happening here um so as it's well known well documented billy brian lilly uh is living and is in an intimate relationship with doug ford's director of communications uh this is not rumor this is not innuendo this is a fact this is well known and it was outed by candleland a few years ago um and they are still together, as far as I'm, I'm aware. And it's also no, not surprising that Brian Lilly tends to get a lot of inside scoops. He tends to post a lot of stories about Doug Ford's uh, policy, and he's, he's he's floated out a few ideas that clearly the Doug Ford government wants to see, like what's the what's the public appetite on certain things. I would not put it past that. You know, uh, can you help uh, help out our candidate in Hamilton Center? We could use a win, or at least just, you know, stir the pot a bit in this by-election that we really don't have a huge chance of winning. Um, but maybe stir the pot a bit, and let's see about just taking an accusation, a, a, a context, and a clip that we're going to frame it as Sarah Jama being anti-Semite and and being uh, uh, anti-Israel. Uh, Etc. And, and it should be noted, there is a significant Jewish community in in Hamilton Center, right? I, I believe. And, and, but and let's let, let's just let's let's put that clip out there and let's let's frame it. Write, write a clip. Write an op-ed framing it as evidence of her anti-Israel, anti-Semitism uh, bona fides, if you will, and let it fly. And what happened is 
it flew. It, it flew. The, the, the left ate itself apart on trying to prove who was the least, who was, who was the bigger anti-Semite was the liberals or the NDP. And in the end, I think both of them ended up wearing mud and I'm shaking, shaking my head here. Like you say, why did you take this bait? Why did you not see what was going on here? Why did you not see that you were being played? Um, like Sarah Jama is still my prediction. She's still going to win that, that seat. Not because not in spite of this. I think it's because the, it's just a strong NDP riding. Um, there've been a number of other Jewish groups who had their own bona fide problems uh, uh, in my opinion with them, but they've come out and support back at her. And, you know, it's what surprised me is like, if, why didn't the, the conservative candidate chime in and he's kind of wisely said, Oh, I'm just going to sit this one out because Hey, when you're and your enemies are eating themselves alive, well, the conservatives have certainly that they i think they have waged the conservatives maybe not the candidate because i don't think they're letting the candidates speak um no, no, because you know they never that's let the, speak. the conservatives have accused jama of being anti-semitic i believe uh, i think i'm pretty sure i read that um but you know uh, it's just it's more predictable and less comment worthy because of course they did um uh so it's one of those things like where your passions went got away from your head and instead of sitting down, letting your passions pass over in an afternoon and thinking about what you want to say, both Deirdre yeah. Pike's campaign and Sarah Jama's campaign decided, well, we're going to go and we have to prove who's right and who's wrong on this. And I, I'm, I'm, in the end, I think both of them end up looking foolish uh, and, and not very, not very responsible. Cause in the end, like he, you're, you're, you're going to be, a, a backbencher in at the legislature, you're not going to have any at the Ontario legislature. Like this, this is ultimately the real policy resides at the federal level with our foreign affairs department, how this gov- this government interacts with that part of the world. You, you're, you're like, what? I just don't see why, why would you weigh into it? Why would you weigh into it and risk your, your, you know, your, the, the relationship with that community, because that's exactly what you're, what what the what the conservatives want you to do. They want you to damage that relationship with the Jewish community in in Hamilton, and they come and say, "Look, we you know, hey, we we never said anything that ridiculous. We're we're the the you know, we're, we're the pro Israel party, and and that's that." And so, I like, mean, when that's I, the thing, is this you know, what why is it that do we really want the politics of the Middle East to be playing a significant role in the politics of Canada? I don't think we do. I, I mean, we all have our opinions about the politics of the Middle East and the history of uh, the Palestinians and and, the, and Israel since since the Second World War. It's a very difficult uh, and fraught subject, um, to say the least. Um, when our political parties become allied with this uh, ultimately religious war, cultural and religious war. Um, there is a cultural and religious war of the Middle East. How is that helping people? How is that helping the people of Hamilton Center? I don't know. You know, it, it's not, it's a, it's a question of and, and what does help the Ham- people of Hamilton Center is not to have a fucking, uh, excuse my language, a fairly extreme right wing, uh, 
government in the pocket of big business that is screwing them over at every at every possible way. Um, for the, so, for the, so what for happens? The we let the, the the Tories post an article, and then the progressives say, punch each say, other's lights out. Just to clarify, we are talking about the Ontario PC party, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah. What did I say? What did I say? Well, you, said, you said a far, re- far right wing party. I'm like, are you talking about Ontario or Israel? Or yeah, we're talking about the Ontario PCs. Uh, yeah, okay. fairly. Fa- I mean, not extreme, right? But a uh, by any standards, oh, no. by the standards I, of the PC party, a right wing version of the PC party that's existed over the last half century, that is more in the pockets of 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 big business than previous iterations of the PC party ever mm-hmm. were, and then which is more. Um, theocratic um and uh more influenced by religious uh, groups than previous iterations of the pc party were yeah it's a it's a, the entire argument this entire great, argument happening right now is just in bad faith it, it's meant to just you're right it's meant to distract from the real issues of housing housing affordability uh education healthcare, the things that right now i'm pretty sure majority of jewish and palestinian canadians especially those living in Hamilton Center, are pro- probably pretty much preoccupied with, uh, you know, ha- economic opportunities uh, in light of the, the rising inflation, et cetera. This, this is, this strikes me as a, I'm going to come back and say, this is a, is a signs of a government, a Tory government that is come, probably running out of ideas or knows that their ideas, their policies are widely unpopular with the public. And so what do you do? Well, in a riding like Hamilton Center, if you want to make any grounds, do you run on your record? No. So what do you do? Let's get our, our poster boy at the Toronto Sun, write an op-ed and try and stir up a hornet's nest uh, and see if the liberals and the NDP can eat each other alive over who's the more anti-Semitic party. And we come across, look at smelling like roses. And in the end, none of us have talked about the issue of housing affordability, uh, issue of of uh, healthcare or, or or anything of that of that nature, that they're open to valid, justified criticism on. Yeah, I mean, it, this is a new experience for me to to be living in a, in a riding where where the the incumbent is um, a progressive party. I mean, actually, the Liberals are currently the last two elections they've been in third place. Uh, they were in third place in two thousand eighteen. They did not get back into second place. They, I think they, they were second place previously. So currently the PCs are in second place. I think that flatters them, frankly. Um, I think it just speaks to the weakness of the Liberal Party at the, at the previous two elections. Um, so, I mean, obviously the Liberals can only get to the promised land of a win in Hamilton Centre if the NDP vote collapses and goes to them. Um, so I guess I get why... In the rough and tumble of an election, you're looking for whatever can get your opponent. But I mean, the, the fact is, and and I know that Hamilton politics and Hamilton politics, the NDP hate the Liberals. The Liberals hate the NDP. I mean, who the Liberals hate is kind of less relevant because the NDP is much much bigger. Um, uh, or, or was traditionally. I don't know what it is now. I haven't been involved for the last however many years, but you know. The Liberal Party in the past was not strong in um, the Ontario Liberals in particular, but not strong in Hamilton as a rule, and were further weakened by a bunch of goofballs who um, were basically on the right wing of the of the Liberal Party, who kind of 
seemed insistent on positioning the liberals as a kind of Tory light party in a, in a city that didn't want any kind of Tories. Um, and, and I'm not associating Didri Pipe with any of that. Cause he's absolutely not in that camp. Um, uh, but so I guess I get it. You know, if you're going to run an election and you've got to beat the NDP to win, you're, you're looking at your thing, but it's just like, we, we need, we need better. We desperately need our progressive parties to be smarter <laughs> about mm-hmm. beating the PCs. Mm-hmm. And it's just depressing when you see it, when you see people who I honestly believe are good people, uh, who disagree about details of, of of progressive policy, but who are basically singing from similar song sheets, going after each other and calling each other racists and anti-Semites. Um, I I I have a problem with it. I have a problem with it. And it's it's not like you say, it's not really about the issues that people in Hamilton Center should be concerned about. I don't even think it's about the issues in the Middle East. I mean, you know, the I, I, you, you, the, the issues of ministry are so complex. They're so they're so historic. You know, to chalk it up to a, a rally here in in Hamilton. Oh, that's the that's the crux of the the whole thing. I'm so, sorry, like it's it's not. It's it, like this. The, the argument requires a bit of nuance and a bit of of honesty to just on both sides. I mean, there's, I don't, I, I think you and I had this conversation beforehand, you know, when you wade into it, both sides have valid arguments and both sides also have done horrific things to the other that you're kind of like, w- w- I'm supposed to pick a side in this. Yeah. And I, I'm like, you know, what I want is no, like I ultimately, I don't want anyone losing lives, you know, Israeli or Israeli Jewish or Arab or Palestinian. I don't want any lives lost at all going forward. And, but I, I, I'll be honest, I don't see a path forward. And so I'm not going to sit there. I and mean, you and I said, like, we can't sit there and say, oh, this side's clearly to blame. That side's clearly to blame. It's just too messy. It is, it is, it's become such of a mess. And I say, and again, I say to like the, the progressive parties, why take the bait to weigh in on this? And, and especially when you have nothing, you have nothing to gain by it. Well, and, and- and everything to lose. Okay. There is an argument that's been made. And I'm saying an argument has been made, not being made by me. Not, I'm making no argument whatsoever about any of this. There's an argument made that a certain type of support for the Palestinian cause equates to anti-Semitism. I'm not saying that's right, that's wrong. But, you know, there's anti-Semitism, which we associate with the Holocaust, with, with you know, a clearly race-based uh, uh, belief or uh, in a whole bunch of tropes about jewish people about you know we know what they are i'm not even going to repeat them uh and then there are political causes which are also some say anti-semitic because of what they say about the existence of the state of israel and how that state should change in future to make it more agreeable with their point of view what we can say is there's an awful big gray area between uh, what some might say is a traditional perception of anti-Semitism, and that kind of definition of anti-Semitism, they're rather different. So to th- throw around this word, 
it's very <laughs> in a provincial election where these issues are not within the remit of anybody who's going to be elected it, it is inflammatory and it's dangerous and it's it's never going to be a fair debate for anybody involved um you know it, it's you know uh again i don't want to get into the weeds of this this freaking debate but you know no one's claiming sarah jama is 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 a is repeating those kind of horrific tropes and blood libel and all the rest of it all those things that you know right it's it's about that much more modern and nuanced definition of 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 uh the boycott divest um and uh, uh the, the boycott diversity divest uh, diversity of sanctions movement sanctions movement and argue, a debate which, which just does seem like a debate that is not clear to me on either side uh about whether that counts as anti-semitism uh, and you know what we do know is that this is not central to say rajama's uh, uh, political career. She, she's a disability activist and, and, and a, an activist for for uh, uh, issues of, uh, of of race and 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 black and and, uh, and, and uh, has been involved with the defund the police movement and things like this. And you could get into those issues, which are actually provincial responsibilities, and find quotes from hey, her about the, the police, which maybe would be well worth discussing in this election. I'm not going to get into that either right now. But other people maybe should, uh, you know, and that would be a matter that she would actually be voting on as MPP in the coming election. Um, you know whether there's a difference between defund the police and, to use a phrase that she, she has used, abolish the police, which is rather different. Um, anyway, um, all we can agree on is that these, this is so disappointing. It's so destructive to to the aims of progressive politics and and people who are basically trying to create a better world throwing mud at each other as if they're monsters uh, I, I don't get it i don't see it helps no. um it's not going to change the result in this election i suspect we need to be better and, and i start treating ourselves a little bit the, the left needs to treat ourselves with a little bit more respect and a little bit more uh uh responsibility because lord knows the right isn't going to do it uh going forward so let's uh let's put a break in the uh in the podcast on this one and we'll come back with uh more 905er and we are back so switching from hamilton um i thought we'd take, zoom up to brampton but I think this is actually going to take a bit more of a, a, a look at around the 905 in general. Uh, but basically, our, our friends over at the, the Pointer website, uh, which focuses mostly on uh, Peel, Peel News, are pointing out that basically Hamilton City Council is out, really out, long story short, allocating nothing, if not virtually yeah, nothing. Sorry, Brampton. Brampton. You said Brampton. Hamilton. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry, Brampton, Brampton. My bad, my bad. But they're allocating... I'm going to say nothing or virtually nothing in their uh, operating budget towards uh, climate change mitigation or, or just whatever that might look. Um, and we're going to, they take the, the Hamilton or Brampton, Brampton city council to task on it. But this is something we, you and I kind of have touched upon uh, quite a bit in that it's not just a Brampton 
issue. There seems to be a trend happening along many municipal uh, governments, uh, you know, declaring climate change emergencies or climate change is a top issue for them to to address the their 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 pro their budgets, yet doing nothing to actually do anything about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is, it is, the pointer does what many, um, many media organizations that cover single cities do, which is, which is tend to, tend to see their own city as the worst example of everything. And I'm not saying that Brampton isn't a very good example of a city not doing anything on climate, uh, not doing very much on climate, um, um, uh, you know, the so-called cl- the, the climate emergency declarations that basically happened everywhere across the province in uh, in about twenty eighteen ish thereabouts um, were uh, they happened everywhere they were largely symbolic everywhere um, they came with no real spending changes anywhere now um, Brampton has uh, sorry not Brampton the pointer has made the point um, or they've done research into spending in Mississauga and the region of Peel. And they say that uh, their analysis suggests that more than half of the entire capital budget of Mississauga is dedicated to climate mitigation or adaptation projects. That's the case. That's fantastic. And well done, Mississauga. And the region of Peel is dedicated 40 million in 2023 to the climate emergency. Um, it should be said that 40 million in the perspective of the region of Peel is not a whole lot of money. Um, you know uh, the, the region of Halton, if I remember rightly, uh, allocated something close to a billion dollars on a single bridge um, a few years back. Um, I should check my facts on that, <laughs> but um, uh, it sticks like in my brain. It's like how much for one bridge? And okay, it was a big bridge, but still, so forty million compared with a billion for a bridge, you know, not a lot. Um, still, it's it's something. Um, but, but but what we're very aware of is that these, these climate emergency declarations were made, made everywhere. They were window dressing pretty much everywhere, um, and uh, they they you know how you can have a climate emergency. You right. can declare that something is an emergency and then simultaneously say that it doesn't actually need any money to fix it. I do not know. Well, a couple thing, a couple notes on that. Uh, one, we had recently had on. I say last episode, uh, Stella Ambler of Municipal Watch. And this was something that she hinted at. Uh, her her focus was on the on the west coast of Vancouver, but um, I'm not going to comment on that because I don't have the information. But I think her 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 sentiment was right: was that these pro, these municipalities declaring a climate emergency? Okay, that's that's good, but then there's no sensible plan. Well, what what does that mean? And I, in my mind, that thinks if it's a climate emergency, the scope of what you've just said means you might have to start with a fundamental rethinking of what your budget priorities are. Now, you and I have said, well, that might mean you have to readdress your zoning bylaws. How how are you going to build so that you you need more density? If you if you declare that there's a climate emergency in your municipality, that means you're going to need more density, which means you're going to need more high rises or that middle level mixed density usage that and that comes to the whole thing you know if you if you don't have the permission from the province to do that then you need to go pick a fight um secondly 
I always say, well, that might mean you might need to start spending more money on uh, municipal facility upgrades to make sure that they are not bleeding energy so that they're leads compliant, that kind of thing. Maybe you want to invest in solar panels to make to bring your municipal infrastructure maybe as off the grid as possible. These are just things I'm spitballing here. But is it cheap? No. But here's the thing, people, you just declared a climate emergency. So walk the walk. That There's a consequence to doing that. If you don't want to make to declare a climate emergency, that's fine too. Because maybe you say, well, we don't have the budget to do these things. And I guess what we come down to is kind of what Stella was, I'm going to say, be polite, Ms. Zambler <laughs> was, was saying about this stuff is if you're going to say it, like you got, you have to back it up or don't. This is all just window dressing. And and I think my worry is that when you say it was to declare it public, we declared a climate emergency. Well, what does that mean? I mean, could it mean that you're, you know, you're now I can spend money on whatever I want and say it's covered underneath our climate emergency declaration. So we're going to buy this new, this new doodad to go in the, in the municipal budget. Okay. But does it do anything like does it meet that criteria no but it sounds really cool i get a photo with it on the front page of the paper so yeah and i want to sort of acknowledge the way i believe this kind of thing is meant to work and where how it could have an effect with a zero budget uh, from the city and a couple of years ago I, I was involved in a bidding process in my sort of professional life bidding process for um sort of uh, something to do with a a, a, a a council in london england um uh, one of the the, the the many London boroughs. Um, London is the opposite of Toronto, which has one council. It has about 50 um, or 25 or something. I can't remember how many it is, but anyway, a bunch. And that bidding process was incredibly rigorous and it set out very clear requirements for the people bidding on, um, you know, you as part of your bid, you have to explain how you're going to mitigate and reduce your carbon footprint how many electric vehicles, you know, if, you're, if you've got staff running around town digging holes, uh, are those electric vehicles? Uh, how new are they? When will they be replaced? What's their efficiency level? Um, uh, how are you going to make sure that your staff get to work? They're not driving all the time. Are they using public transit? Um, things really very, very rigorous and extensive requirements. It was a massive part of the, of the process to, to meet those requirements. I don't, know that my, my my feeling is nothing like as rigorous happens here uh not, nothing remotely as rigorous happens here uh, and that we've seen it with the uh, vision zero statements we've we've seen it in you know repeatedly the buzzwords <clears throat> get picked up uh, as as by councils and by ca- council staff alike uh as a way of saying look we're doing something amazing climate emergency woohoo um, and that's really the end of the conversation. Uh, now, maybe I'm being a little bit unfair. I mean, definitely no. you know, the idea is that those statements can be a way to, you know, now that you've said there's a climate emergency, that the staff, when they do something, have to have that in their brain. Okay, how is this addressing the climate emergency? And have to kind of include that in the conversation. My feeling is with, with how I've watched, okay, I'm going to use Burlington as an example just because that's the one I watched over the years, where various buzzwords came along, were used in city documents for a year or two and then silently drifted away um citizen engagement was a good one <laughs> that pick at random not well, random at all not, well not random <laughs> burlington did declare a, a climate emergency and this is something you and i have mm-hmm. touched upon numerous times 
Burlington said, oh, there's a climate emergency. We're going to change the way we do things in Burlington. And we thought, oh, that's interesting. And then nothing happened. Uh, you know, we, we kind of, we've called out the mayor a bit on this, like, well, where is the push to change zoning bylaws? Where's the, where's the push for greater density? Where's the push for better transit? And everything has just kind of been shuffled off to the side. And there's, I, I don't get the sense that it's an, it's an urgency anymore. Nobody talks yeah. about climate emergency at the city. And uh, to be, to be fair to the mayor, I will say, to be fair to all mayors, I will say that they are facing every decision they ever make. They face massive institutional inertia against change. And, and that is particularly true in things like roads, uh, transit development, um, the, 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 okay, we've got a climate emergency. What are you going to do about it? I mean, the, the institution of municipal government in Ontario will slow down, delay, block. And, and this isn't an individual thing. It's how city halls work. It's just how they work. Um, I think in the UK, um, councils have more power, frankly, to actually do what they say they're going to do. Um, it's, a, it's a stronger mayor system. Um, the the councillors are actually in political parties, and that can be a good thing or a bad thing or otherwise, but it, it means they have a bit more oomph behind them. Um, you know, they're allowed to, they're allowed to, or, the councillors are allowed to organise and talk about policies and agendas and things, which, which, which councillors in, in Ontario are not actually allowed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, as always, it comes back to this issue of, of, of Ontario municipalities are weak, the councils are weak, and the so-called strong mayor system that Doug Ford has brought in uh, changes that not one single iota, by the way. Um, uh, and so all the best intentions in the world, and I dare say the people who declare climate emergencies and Vision Zero and all those other things had the best intentions in the world, and it goes nowhere. And it's just, uh, you know, again, it's another reason why people are so disenchanted and fed up and bored with politics. It's like, what's the point? It all, right. it all, it all grinds to a halt. And I guess um, that's my, I mean, but there comes a time when you have to fight for, for fight for your right uh, to coin, a, coin the Beastie Boys. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that's the thing is, but all these municipalities are falling at the, you know, was it six years ago? They were, climbing over each other, fighting over each other to declare that they were going to be declaring a climate emergency within their little corner of the world. And it was like, oh, wow, that's, that's really something. That's, that's, that's a really progressive viewpoint. That can happen quickly because the staff, the staff love a buzzword too. They right. love yeah, a they declaration do. of a, sounds, yes, sounds, we're going to do something amazing. They love, but the, but totally on board with that. As long as we don't actually have to do anything to make and it I guess happen. that's the thing is that, you know, what happened to all those mayors with big ambitions and the councillors with big ambitions. And at some point you just, you, you kind of got to rock the boat and say, damn it, give us the powers to do this. Give us the, you know, allow us to redesign our cities so that we can allow some greater, that mixed middle use density. So that it's not just you know forty story condo towers or sprawl. What hap- Where's that option in the middle to help us meet this target? Where? How? How can we develop our cities so that we have better transit systems? We can afford to buy the extra busing or whatnot, so that we can have we can ensure people can get around uh, more easily. Again, I mean, where's the firebrand Marianne Mead Ward 
who who before she was elected, in fact, the week after she was elected, was talking about um, you know merging merging the you know to, to taking transit in Halton to to the Halton region mm-hmm. rather than having these ridiculous Burlington transit, Oakfield transit, Milton Milton even have transit. I don't even know. Um, uh, you know, there's a ridiculous state of affairs where 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 the most basic transit in in, in our municipalities is bloody awful, <laughs> for want of a better word. Uh, unless you live in somewhere big enough like Hamilton or Toronto, where the 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 the, the, the urban area is large enough to make it kind of viable, you know. Well, no, when the provincial and federal governments will chip in millions and billions of dollars to either build an oh, LRT true. or to build an Ontario line uh, through the city. Uh, you know, and may, maybe that's the case. Maybe maybe municipalities are just not equipped at all to do a squat on this. In which case, again, if you want to make your community a better place, pick a fight. You're going to have to go pick a fight with your provincial and federal counterparts and say, Give us the money to do this. Give us the money and the ability to make the changes. We'll do it for you. Or just allow us to upgrade our, our facility. Give us uh, infrastructure money to just upgrade all the hockey arenas and the the parks uh, that we have to plant more trees, to put solar panels on the roof, to to fix the cracks in the in the foundation, so to speak. Um, it, 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 it's, so it, someone's it's on the line in the cities, the cities, again, it comes back to this thing of like, why aren't the cities able to put serious pressure on the province and you've seen it already with andrea horvath i'm not having to go at andrea horvath i'm just using her as an example of this process but we've seen it within days of her being elected she's basically playing the let's not upset doug ford game that they mm. all play you know, yeah she's doing what they all do there's a reason why they do it because it makes sense it's because well everything basically your your job as mayor is to go and supplicate to the province and say, please, sir, can we have some more um, and hope that, you know, the province shows some benevolence and, and gives you what you want. But that's also the source of their complete weakness and ineffectuality. Um, and it's like, I just it, wish, you know, and we've seen, we've seen recently um, Rob Burton in Oakville going along to that huge fundraiser yeah. and paying his $1,500 or whatever to attend. Uh, no doubt, out of his person. Well, no, no, I won't even say that. But still, someone's well, paid for his ticket. Um, no, he definitely him. I hope. Well, he did. Uh, the the town did not. They can. It was it was vouched that the town said it was not out of public coffers, which is good. But I, I agree. Like you know, Bob Rob Burton also. I mean, I remember Rob Burton was thought of as oh, he's he was being his name was being touted running for the Liberals at one point back in the day. Uh, so. It's amazing to see him suddenly shift gears because it's the opportune moment to go and hang out with a bunch of Tories at a $1,500 plate dinner. Same as what happened to the Andrew Horvath who was saying, oh, we need to stop Doug Ford dead in his tracks because he's the worst thing that could possibly happen to Ontario. And all of a sudden now, you know, I'm just going to stay, stay mum on every issue that affects Hamilton, zoning, environment business development, all that stuff. We're just going to stay mum on it because, you know, um, what's she hoping for? That also one day Doug Ford is going to come by with a huge check and say, here, Andrea, all your woes are answered. Go nuts. Just before the next municipal election. Maybe he will, probably will. Um, but that's just the, the most cynical of plays in uh, in politics. 
And quite frankly, that's why you're right. That's why nothing gets done because we sit there and we let's wait around for three or four years. I, it might, yeah, it's it's a faint hope. I mean, it's clearly, you know, I, I keep on saying, it's like municipalities, if they were truly had a, a an organized and orchestrated voice, could exert real power over the province. Um, but they never want to. I mean, it it seems laughable now that the you know the basically the the, the kind of mud thrown Andrea Horvath during during the municipal election was you know well you know. Hamilton's going to be screwed if Andrea wins because of the hatred between her. It's like, it's not how it works. Uh, whoever won would have been exactly the same. And it's, it's, you go along with your cap out and say, please. Um, yeah, but it's a different style. If you can go with your cap out and then have, once you get, don't get what you want, there are ways to pick a fight. Uh, you know, and I, I, don't, I don't want to sound going chaos in our, in our politics, but at some point you do have to stand up and say, this doesn't, work and the fact is if you're a mayor a mayor you know, a mayor of hamilton size or any size city in the 905 you can get stuff done um and i i'm gonna as a perfect example of that if you remember back during the pandemic um you remember the letter that the halton mayors wrote to the minute to doug ford back when uh the lockdowns were first happened they were saying hey can you let halt know because mm-hmm. our numbers are good let us out we're 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 being a good Good boys and girls, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, Doug came out with the now infamous color-coded scale of openness. That that was because those Halton mayors wrote a letter and said, "We've had enough. Change the rules for us." And Doug did. So, yeah, no, it's a good point. They did. I didn't always agree with what they were doing, but during COVID, the mayors did use their collective voice yeah. to significant effect uh, with the province. That was very unusual. I'm not familiar with that having happening before and it hasn't happened no. since so but it happened and it worked mm-hmm. but whether you agree or agree or disagree with that mm-hmm. outcome uh it worked so again coming back to the idea of this climate change uh declarations but yeah i know you're going to need big money to make the necessary changes you're going to need the policy the powers to make the policy changes uh to to affect this and I'm just wondering where where is that where's that 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 drive where's that collective push to say give us the powers to allow the municipalities to make the changes that they need to follow through on this climate change uh, proclamation this declaration. I mean, yeah, the province is going to say no, but say why not? Don't you agree that there's a climate change emergency? Yeah, well. I don't think the PCs do, you know, overtly or tacitly. Maybe not, but, the, but, you know. but you know, sometimes you have to make them. You have to say you got to put this, you know, pen to paper and put make a draw a line in the sand. Um, there just there comes a time when just either shit or get off the pot. And sometimes, if you're going to make a declaration, you make a declaration. You got to stand by it. And it's sad to see that a lot of the 905 mayors are incredibly weak. They, they they're coming out as spineless. I guess is what I'm, I'm going to, uh, yeah, no, to say. I say they come out of spineless because they're spineless um, because the job does not come with a spine. Um, it's it, been designed to be a spine free zone <laughs> and but, becomes more lacking in spine every year. Um, yeah, and again, I'll come back to Marianne Mead Ward because whatever you think of Mar- Marianne Mead Ward as, as a, as a, as, as basically Burlington's 
chief of the loyal opposition or whatever for about a decade, God knows she was not afraid to st- to, to state what she thought. And, and now she's another quiet, well-behaved mayor of a municipality, it seems. Um, and I get that there's a huge motivation to 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 be like that. Uh, you know, what, there's, there's, there's threats associated with not being like that. There's a better what, way to put it. What, what's the uh, what's the saying? Uh, well-behaved women rarely make history. Well, that, that's Marianne's favorite quote, I do believe. <laughs> um, well, and, you know. yeah, I agree with it. It's a fantastic quote. And um, uh, Marianne was certainly not well-behaved uh, uh, during her career prior to becoming mayor. Um, I, I would like to see a few mayors, Andrea Horvath, Marianne Mead Ward, uh, Rob Burton, whoever, just really saying, this is not good enough. This needs to change. And then there were various declarations back in uh, 2018-ish uh, about the need for change to LPAC, things like that. Since then, silence, nothing. There was a unanimous declaration by every single right. regional councillor, nothing. So again, enough with the declarations. Well, if you're going to make a declaration, that has to be the first part of the campaign, not the campaign in totality. And that goes for declarations about the LPAC. It would be an easy and very small way to really screw over ban signs, ban, ban political <laughs> signs, or, or make every person who wants to put up a sign during the election have to get a permit from City Hall first. Uh, that, you could run into the um, Constitution on that one, I believe. Um, but no, 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 I suspect. No. Or you just, no, if you, I think, because there was a gentleman in Burlington who put up a sign uh, declaring his statement on you know what he, he wanted. It was a very big Old statement and the city said you have to take it down it doesn't fit within our allotted uh parameters i say change the change the parameters from the standard one uh and so say everyone okay if you want to put up a sign just have to get a permit same as like you you have to if you want to protest you have to get a permit from city hall so why not just tell everyone if you want to put up a sign on your front lawn you need to get a permit for every sign everyone was just say i'm not i'm not putting up a sign this year because i just don't want the hassle okay I think, well, yeah, maybe they'll eventually die out all on their own because there'll be so few people willing to take part in the political process. Um, uh, I, I, I'd i like to see the municipalities taking on some bigger issues than that, I have to say. I mean, yeah, all oh, signs are dumb, right? Don't get me wrong. No, but um, here, but, here but, but planning, development, follow it through. Then you, ha- then, you can pl- then you can play politics in your own way. You can decide how, you can back whoever you want. It's a... It, I'm 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 playing I'm playing chess here in my head, <laughs> rolling with. You're playing three-dimensional chess, and I'm playing checkers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If anybody wants to know my my whole theory on how I would play that out, email me, Joel <laughs> Joel at nine o five or dot and I'll tell you my entire strategy if I was a mayor and how I do, but to get my way, I just, just pick up the checkers sign. pieces and throw them at people. That's my kind of politics. That could work. <laughs> All right. Not that we're advocating that. Don't throw, don't throw, don't throw checkers people. pieces, people. No. Childish. <laughs> throw, throw insults. Okay, folks, that's it for uh, this week. Thanks very much. Uh, we'll see you on Thursday. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. 
As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. Matt Kundal, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.